Good morning, everyone. It is 5 a.m. on the West Coast. It's my 26th anniversary, and I have the best wife in the world to allow me to take time on our anniversary to have activity they uh, choose to have outside of uh, our own nuptials. And I am blessed. I want to give her a big shout out. 5 a.m. Hopefully, I'm not waking her, but more importantly, there's other relationships that mean a lot to me. And one of them is the Double B. He is my mentor, my coach. He is a dear friend. I consider him family. And he's here at 5 a.m. even more importantly to me that he shows up. Blaine, thank you so much for showing up uh, today. Hey. Sorry. I love it. I yeah, love you. Uh, happy anniversary to you and Julie. I was going to give you a call later today about that, but uh, <laughs> you always do. Just take that off my checklist. Exactly. I'll save you each a call and anyone out there as well. So uh, this is an exciting morning for me, not just because of my anniversary and being one of the luckiest men in the world to be married to such an extraordinary person. And the older I get the more I realize how important relationships are. Not many relationships, but the most relative relationships that uh, feed us the most. And beyond uh, my marriage to Julie and my marriage to Blaine uh, here on Office Hours and other places, I have another marriage uh, to, the, to the Superman himself. Uh, from the day we met, it was love at first sight. I am his lowest lane. He is my Superman. Adam Jablum, the hero coach, the recovery mentor. Welcome for the very first time, I think, to Office Hours. Yes, this is my first time. So first, let me say, Blaine, it's a pleasure to be with you. David, you could hear how David speaks about you. And David, happy, happy anniversary, brother. You know, I think the world of you, uh, I think you're definitely more Batman than uh, Lois Lane. <laughs> You're saving lives left and right. Uh, but I mean, you know, just I never got to really spend quality time with your wife, but to see how much you guys love each other and lean into one another. And as you grow, you grow your family and how close you both are with your children. I just admire and respect that so much. So, so much. So happy, happy anniversary. Well, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I was reading... Uh, in your journey, and you look lotsaholic from sick to sober Superman, which is what you are. But you know, I study the ego, I study time. Time is my love language. You know, in understanding addictions and dependencies, uh, I was trying to coordinate or align it with ego. And, you know, I'm trying to take the simplified categorization that Freud put on the ego and see what it means today. And I was wondering if you could share with me, you know, in the feed, the fight, the flea, and the fornicate uh, categories that Freud has given us of ego, wh where does lots of holic, uh fall into? And we're afraid. What are we doing today in the terminology of today in order to enact the ego? So today, today. Yeah. Today, the lotsaholic, through many different what you what the, what the three of us would maybe call spiritual or dot 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 religious or dot dot mental health space wellness, uh, tries to stay really present. David, you've helped me with this. Blaine, you probably have helped David in the past, but David has really helped me understanding 
time. You know, a lot of this is, is how much pressure I put on myself, how much the pressure I put on myself, I'm obviously projecting to others. The old lotsaholic with, let's say, with the Freudian, Dave, that you were using was drink, drug, and fight. Now, fight not necessarily like this, but just lean in and be extreme in all behaviors. It wasn't, it definitely wasn't flee and it de definitely was not freeze. You know, freezing, I wouldn't even be able to drink. It was definitely all fight. But today it's a matter of sharing. So David, if I, when I text you or when you've helped me with my divorce and many other problems, I believe when you share a problem, you cut it in half. Now two of us are holding the problem. Meditation is a great way. Blaine and I were speaking before about how wonderful your dinner was with Dr. Joe Dispenza. I believe he's taken that whole meditation game from here to here. Uh, Self-care, physical wellness, um, and uh, truly a faith in God. I, I, I'll use the G word all day, you know, I don't, but uh, those, you encompass all of those things and it allows me to be present here and now. You know, Adam, I, each each point that you enumerate there, um, I just watched a, a series last night, uh, a very brief one, uh, on uh, blue zones, you know, longevity, and the idea of slowing down, the idea of healthy nutrition, the idea of sharing, you know, faith-based community, uh, and continual movement. But one of the things that I was really struck by was in every one of these uh, blue zones, the way that time was addressed. Um, and I may, it was in this context, it, time was experienced on a human scale, not as a sped up artifact of what our culture says we're supposed to be doing we need to get that yesterday we need your late there's a deadline i mean you know all of the linguistics that come into play around how are how we frame and hold time and hold ourselves inside that you know, that that bubble was absolutely turned on its head in these blue zones um the the, the pace of living and you know and these there's you know 103 year old guy out there herding cattle <laughs> down, down in the down in Costa Rica, uh, it's kind of like I want to be that. I want to do that. Yeah. And the idea of lotsaholic, there's a there's a point, and I just want to check this out with you, where there was a realization early on in these cultures where there isn't a need to accumulate, because almost every one of these uh, areas would have been by our standards impoverished in some way, shape, or form. Uh, but they were unbelievably rich in just about every other thing that you would care to assign meaning to. How did you get off of that bandwagon of, you know, I need more, I need lots, you know, let's get more. It's got, I, I got to get it. It's, it's, there's not enough for me. I've got to grab mine before all of the stuff that goes along with that. What was what was a catalyst for you? You know, Blaine, what I'll do is I'm going to build a bridge to David's question. What happened to me, and I had a really profound spiritual ex experience and treatment. But for me, where Bill Wilson had, of the 12 steps, yep. had a white light, or where Saul turned into Paul, and it was an extreme, you know, and, and Christ manifested right from, and these the people had these profound spiritual experiences. Mine was a panic attack 
like a which was that works too. Yeah, which was severe ego deflation. So my my heart rate, they they literally took it. It was one eighty. I mean, it was really really bad, and I I couldn't get my I couldn't catch my breath. I was shaking. I was sweating. My skin had gone white, but it was all mental. And they were like, "What's wrong?" I remember saying to them, guys, I I think this is real. I think all of this stuff you're teaching me is real. These steps, inner child, my feelings, my my face doesn't match my emotions. I'm always smiling. I'm full of I'm full of BS. If I want to kill you, I'm smiling. If I'm sad, I'm smiling. If um, you know, I, I never had the proper emotion on my face. I was really a phony, and I. I remember feeling like, what am I going to tell everybody? It was always this outside ego. What am I going to tell everybody? And they were like, <laughs> they basically said, guys, everybody knows. <laughs> you know, you're in rehab. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> but, but guys, something happened in that moment. And, and there, I remember asking for a pill to calm me down, just begging for something. And they told me, this is your moment. No more. This is it. You're accepting what you are. You're allowing to happen what you are. And the heart rate went down and the panic attack left. And I just saw two of me. It's called the parallel process. And there was one guy and he could get on the phone and just be an argumentative, meet, like get in the car, pick me up, get the divorce papers. I'm right. You're wrong. That guy, you know, and, and with time, with, with this, 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 more, more, more. And then there was this other guy. And I didn't know if he had to be bought, you know, wear a yarmulke. I didn't know if he had to get bar, uh, baptized. I didn't know if he had to vow poverty, but I knew he was sober. And I jumped into that guy with two feet and I never looked back. So that, w w it was truly just diving into that new identity plane mm -hmm. and never looking back. And Adam, you know, and I think you and all the things that you do do beyond writing books like Lotsaholic, being an extraordinary coach, uh, also having amazing training packages from seven days to 90 days to 90 minute calls to 30 days, speaking of mine, whatever suits in alliance with your comfort level of how much time each day we want to spend on this trajectory where we be or better in this healing process of I am instead of more where I see great expertise as the super superman that you are and the hero coach that I think of you as there's this void there's this distance that you heal and I think there's a personal energy crisis today that has never been here before there's always a problem so people are wasting energy way back when you know, when they had Sanskrit, they were wasting energy, but it's become a huge chasm in the distance between this. I am. And this, this is what I want people to think I am has never been greater. And where you have a great expertise as a hero coach is to dissolve, finish, and hopefully even someday allow that energy suck, that personal energy crisis to be void as void as it is between these two things. What are some of the key interferences that people have between what I am and what I want people to think I am? This is, David, that's, all right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to dive in on this one. And, and 
make it really relevant. And this is also, I think it has to do with our relationship. So Blaine, just so you know, and anyone in the audience, I feel my relationship with David is a, is a little more special in a way that David's coaching and mentorship and friendship and brotherhood to me is actually much more about the heart and much more about, we, we speak more about personal issues and personal things rather than how do I grow this brand? How do I do this? How do I get seen by more faces? Can, uh, I have a podcast. Can I have this get? We never talk about that. It's always about our love, our time, our families, our <laughs> commitment. So this is how I would look at it. If I buy roses for the love of my life because I want to get laid, that is purely out of its selfish motive, right? And if I buy roses for the love of my life because I'm thinking about her, like your anniversary today, and I want to celebrate her and my love, that's, that's a purely loving motive. Yet the action looks the same. The action looks identical. So it really is, is my heart and my head aligned in that intention. So I know when we're working together and Blaine, when the three of us are working together, we're actually trying to pour people, pour into people and allow them to know what's available. And we're trying to, you know, David, you're great at organizing people, getting everybody together. And I know other people in spaces, especially in the social media world, where it looks like that, but truly what it's about is attention and validation. And they, they're missing something in their lives. So they're trying to get some sort of fill. Does that make sense? So I truly believe you, know, you can actually do all this, all the right things with the wrong intention. And you'll yeah. and those results will show. Yeah. You know, you'll be here today and you're gone tomorrow. And you could do all the, the right intentions with the right motive. And you grow and you grow and 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 that's really how I see it. Right. My my girlfriend could accidentally put cyanide in my coffee and I can die. My enemy could put sugar in my coffee and it could be sweet. So it's it's truly just really being with you now from here. Mm -hmm. You know, if I could just yeah, piggyback on that a bit here, Adam, I love that answer. Uh, and David, that that gap that you talked about, it, it, it's an imaginary gap that uh, people yeah, spend a lot of time worrying about because they think that there's supposed to be something that comes after the phrase, I am. There is nothing that is supposed to come after the phrase, I am. It's just, I am. And, and I that is the key to the entire kingdom right there. Just yeah. being able to settle into that. It implies I'm enough. I'm good. I mean, yeah, whatever yeah, you would imagine, but just a simple I am. Yeah, pat the earth yeah. and settle down and say I am. Yeah, and then I, I've learned a, a second question, and I remember in AP English in 11th grade, <clears throat> in studying Kierkegaard and existentialism, thinking, yeah, I get that. Uh, and I had no idea those two words would change my life and through the coaching of Blaine Bartlett and the coaching with uh, Adam as well. But I've added, I am, what am I doing to interfere with it or that mm -hmm. which I am and identify those mm -hmm. things. And that's what Adam does as a coach, as an author, a podcaster, a speaker, his training courses, all the different things that he's doing to pour into a community of people uh, to help them identify what you're doing to interfere 
with what I am. That's why he's a hero. She's a recovery mentor. He's also a dear friend. And uh, I remember one of the early lessons of Blaine Bartlett. David, you go to the people that feed you and feed them. I'm so glad that I'm able to feed my friend, Adam Jablin. Please come back and join us. Blaine Paul, get on his show. Do a swap with him. Uh, you won't find someone that has an elevated frequency and awareness like Blaine Bartlett as well. It's to be on my anniversary. If I can't be in bed with my wife at 5 a.m., I'd rather be online with you two turkeys. Thank you so much. God bless Great you. Great to meet both. you, Adam. Likewise, Cir and I'll stay in touch. And David, yeah, circle back with me. Let's get you on the show. I love it. I would love it. Guys, thank you for your time. You got it, brother. Thank you. Take care. All right. <laughs> hey, we are we are blessed. The double J. I think everybody has a J in their name today. Am I right again? Uh, yeah. 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 <clears throat> there we go. Double J, hey, double John. B. Hey. <coughs> hey, good morning. What a great guest Adam is. I just bought his book. Oh, you did? See? Yeah, yeah, just sitting here on my on my on my phone. But bought, bought his book. What a, what a great message! What a positive uh, what a positive guy. Yeah, and he's uh, the real deal. He yeah. he certainly is. But you also have read the book. Everybody can go out and trust me about the positivity and value in the uncertainty solution. Yeah. How to invest with confidence in face the unknown. Um, John, you know, there's two things that come to mind with your book. One, uh, you know, there is only one certainty, and that's uncertainty. That's right. But if you want to, if you want to exacer exacerbate that uncertainty, put it into the realm of investment, uh, because <laughs> exactly. uh, yeah. Yeah. the variables involved in the variance of human nature uh, make it so difficult. Uh, because in the end, no matter uh, where we're at, it, it has a human element that creates. Uh, to me, even greater uncertainty than the exterior elements of, you know, circumstance and events and weather and, and, and yeah. disease or, or whatever it is. Um, how do we invest with confidence, even though we face the unknown? Yeah. So what my book is about is, yes, you know, uncertainty and why we have evolved to dislike it and some about what we usually do that is usually counterproductive. But what I found is, and this is based on uh, like 15 years of research, is, is what great investors do is they create what are known as mental models that they fall back on. And Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's business partner, of course, he championed this idea of mental models. Um, you know, he, he pioneered it. And back in a, a speech in 1994, he, he introduced it. And really what a mental model is, is it's just a model of how the world actually works that we keep in our brains. And you, you, you can't just take random facts and just bang them back. These are things that you develop and that you pull them out when they're relevant, right? And so to your point, David, absolutely, we can't get rid of uncertainty. So the key is, is how do you make better investment decisions and have better behavior so that you'll have more money? So what I do in my book is I lay out 35 different mental models for people to know which ones to pull out when and to notice what's going on in, in, in the world and say, okay, this mental model is important to pull out. And this is really what the, the investors that perform the best do. Yeah, the idea of mental models, and I'm familiar with Charlie's uh, 
you know, work on that. Um, it, it's, it, it speaks to the way that the human mind is organized around patterns, um, mm -hmm. not, not data points, but patterns. Mm -hmm. And when you're, I mean, let, let's just talk about your book. Uh, I mean, and you know, first of all, I just want to you know, acknowledge and congratulate you, you know, to the whole audience here. 2023 nonfiction book awards winner, gold, gold yeah, yeah. winner. I mean, that's, that's a big deal. Yeah, <laughs> congratulations on that. That's yeah. good stuff. Yeah, I appreciate it. Which which of these mental models? And I know that you've got a, 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 an aggregation there, but mm -hmm. from a pattern of patterns perspective, are there some mental models that seem to be it seem to have more long term utility in an uncertain yeah. financial uh, space than yeah. others? Yeah, yeah. First, first, let me say, Blaine, you're, you're spot on. The, the very definition of uncertainty is when we cannot spot a pattern. Yeah. So we flail around, we try to, and, and it's because we've evolved to be pattern recognizing machines. If you think back, you know, if you're a human living like 100,000 years ago, like your ability to spot a pattern actually allowed you to predict the future, which gave you a survival advantage. Yeah. So those humans that were better at spotting patterns survived, reproduced, we are their descendants, right? So that's what we do. We, we flail around looking for a pattern where we, we can't find one. Um, you know, I'll tell you that the mental model, I think, is really the most important investment mental model dealing with, you know, patterns and probably the most important one in my book, just that's, you know, purely an investment one is what I call the stock market is not the economy. And like, here's the deal. Mm -hmm. the, the economy and what's going on in the real world bears no relation to what's going on in the stock market. So if you think back to 2020, and sorry to bring up 2020, it was all a rough time. <laughs> but One more the, time of feeling. I know, right. It was, uh, but uh, February 26th was the market high before all the COVID, you know, kind of the wheels came off. And the market dropped 34% in just over 20 trading days. It was just uh, amazing. Remember, it was like falling knives. So March 23rd was the low. And let's, let's imagine that the three of us, again, we'd be on you know, we'd be on video like this because we were, you know, isolated. But imagine the three of us had a crystal ball and it didn't tell you what the stock market was going to do, but it told you what was going to happen in the real world and in the economy. And here's what our crystal ball would tell us. A, we've just had our thousandth COVID re uh, death report in the U.S., but we're going to have over 330,000 by the end of the year. There's going to be 6 million people at least that die of COVID in the next three years globally. Um, the economy is going to contract by 9% next quarter and unemployment is going to spike to nearly 15%. The NHL and NBA are going to uh, cancel their seasons. Remember that? I was like, holy cow. You cannot travel internationally, even to Canada. Restaurants and hotels and everything are, are going to fail. It's, it's just going to be pandemonium. I think we would probably be like, oh my gosh, let's pull our money out of the stock market, bury it in the backyard, put it in gold or whatever. But that was the market low. And you may, you may say, well, what's going on? How can, how can the stock market rebound when all that bad news is coming? And the, the answer is it happens all the time. The stock market tends to predict what's going to happen in the economy or the real world, not the other way around. And we, we'd almost prefer to say, oh, you know, we can look at this economic indicator of the news to tell us what the stock market is going to do. But it doesn't work that way. And so the, the, the thing that we have to keep in mind is just because the news is bad and getting worse it doesn't mean that the stock market's going to get bad or worse. And on the contrary, even though things are good and getting better, it doesn't mean that the stock market is going to be good or getting better. 
And at, at first you may say, well, that's horrible. Like this doesn't help me with uncertainty at all. Right. Uh, but as an investor, it can actually be, you know, reassuring that you don't have to know everything that's going on. You don't have to have a crystal ball because the key point is, even if you had a crystal ball, it would not help you invest <laughs> unless the crystal ball told you what the stock market is going to do. Again, that's the, the caveat. So <laughs> even if you knew what was going to happen, it would not help you invest. So when you invest, design your portfolio and your investments to, to be kind of like this all weather portfolio. This, you know, if you're, if you're heading out to sea, you know, you don't know what the weather is going to be exactly. So you have a boat that can do well in all conditions. That's how you should invest. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's interesting because the simplicity with the greatest <laughs> investors and the greatest investment strategists like yourself, John, uh, there is a precursor to certain investment and it's knowing your own timing and risk tolerance, which lends to these mental models uh, as well. And I'll give you an example. Uh, I'm not a financial strategist. In fact, I lost over $100 million, you may know, and went bankrupt mm-hmm. in 2008. Uh I tell people all the time that had nothing to do with my success or failure in investing. It had to do with that was not aligned with my timing and risk tolerance. Uh, a lottery ticket, you know, can be very enjoyable in a successful investment. If you align it with, I really enjoy for $2 knowing every Saturday I have a chance to win a billion dollars and I have a one in $2 billion chance. <laughs> real estate um, and I love your uh, take on it because similar to what you did in, in the stock market that if you go into real estate with a strategy of uh, I can afford to hold this property uh, then I think you have a huge advantage because you've taken the uncertainty out, out of the circumstance and put it into you know, the most protected asset in America since the time we've created America by all laws. Therefore, if you buy a piece of real estate and can afford to hold on to it, uh, you can pick and choose when it's aligned with the timing and risk tolerance and, and profit no matter what's going on, if you can afford to, to hold that. Uh, where in my, you know, newfound understanding timing and risk tolerance, May there be a hole or some sort of educational nuance you could give me of, you know, no, Dave, timing and risk tolerance is important, is important. And can you buy real estate like that? Is my strategy somehow a miss that if I'm buying strategy that I can afford to hold that someday if I want to make money from it, I'll make money from it? Yeah, I think uh, you're spot on and a key strategy and what we do with our clients. So we, we work with we only we only work with about 60 families. We have 60 employees, but on, on average, they have two really rich families because you guys manage like 15 billion dollars. Yeah. So it's it's like two, 200 and something million dollars a, a family. So we work mainly in the hundred and uh, million and up up range. And and for a lot of these people, um, you know, a lot of them are living off their portfolios. Mm-hmm. And. And I'll tell you, there's this, this whole mental shift from like when you're making money and saving money and investing money to switching and saying, okay, now I'm going to live off of it. It's like being a, you know, a retiree. There's this, there's this different shift. And I think what's so key in order to invest well is that you have a big enough margin of safety, right? So we, we say, you know, you should have at least a year, some clients we have two or even three years in, in cash of expected portfolio withdrawals and then have a, 
some more years in bonds. And a lot of people are like, oh, you know, I hate bonds. They don't do well and, you know, whatever. But but that's not the, the, the role of bonds. The role of bonds is, you know, even if your bonds drop in value, you haven't lost any money. They're not like a stock because a bond, you're going to get paid back par. You only lose money if you have to, you have to sell it. Like, you know what you're going to get back out of your bond, which is I'm going to get my yield and I'm going to get it back. So, so yeah, it sounds boring and horrible, but really that's the difference between having great wealth and not is when you have great wealth, you can actually afford to have enough cash and high quality bonds that you can take more risk and you can just ride it out. Yeah. And on, on the real estate question, yeah, real estate's a, a, a great investment asset. And you may be aware, um, you know, it's probably 10 years ago now, Warren Buffett in, you know, one of the Berkshire Hathaway annual letters, this is a great story about how he owns um, this piece of real estate and he's owned it for, you know, 50 plus years. And he said, you know, he compared it to the stock market. He, he said, you know, in the stock market, people get all emotional with fear and greed and everything as the value of what they own jumps up and down. Right. And, and if enough people are saying it's not worth as much as you think, you know, then we're like, oh, my gosh. And, then, you know, vice versa. He said that compare that to my piece of real estate. I think it is an apartment building. And he said, I'm going to own it. I own long term. It's you know, I've continued to raise you know rents. I'm continuing to get great cash flow and it's stable. It's always going to be worth something. He's like, why would I be worse off if my neighbors on either side of me were yelling offers to buy or, or the my property or sell their similar properties. He's like, that's really what it is. And that wouldn't affect me. He goes, I get, I get offers for my property all the time. And I just say, no, I love this property and I'm going to continue to own it. And, you know, I think this is one of the great things about things like private real estate or even private equity, venture capital, uh, what have you is, is the behavior is better typically because you don't have these, you know, um, you know, you don't you don't look on a, a statement and see them just jumping up and down, right? <laughs> and, and you're locked in. Yeah, so you have better behavior. You're not as likely to you know sell out at a bad time. But but like anything, if you if you have too much real estate of a particular type, you know, there's investors right now that you know have commercial office buildings, and you know that's that's not a great area to be in. It's it's probably <laughs> going to get worse. So like if you're a real estate investor, you know if you had a little bit of commercial office building, but you you maybe you know had some multifamily, maybe some industrial, you know like warehouses, you know uh, which are both just booming. You know it helps offset. So a lot of it's about you know just being boring and diversify, right? <laughs> that, that was so, boring i just want to you know real oh, quick sorry, you know, we, we got we, we got to move on i, I apologize oh no no that. that's fine that's fine I, yeah. I, i'm looking up at the clock i i see that <laughs> I, I do have a question about this job but, but we we'll come back to that back. yeah yeah we'll i was have just because i want to talk about distribution and and trust that's, uh yep. he's an amazing yep. expert in trust yep. in the state uh and people make huge mistakes in probate and and distribution, yeah. uh, not just in the financial side, but the empowerment side of how they divide the interest of their family and sometimes ruin uh, their own family with the wealth that they created for their family. And I, I'd like to get into that emotional side, which I know as a yeah. great uh, author, speaker, and strategist, you talk about a lot. How do we, you know, use wealth if you get to be as old as Blaine? You know, how can we use it? i <laughs> <laughs> I should have said as rich as Blade. I apologize. Yeah, exactly. uh, but more importantly, uh, uh, I, I'd like to have you back. And I know Blaine, you, you uh, have your shows and we'll have well, you back, John. Well, and I see my, my website, John M. Jennings, is there. If you, if you go to that, um, uh, you can download a free chapter of my book and, and, and see if it's something you're interested in.
So perfect. Thanks, guys. Please do everyone. Thanks, John. Thank you. We'll have back. Have a great Thursday. We will. Thank you. All right. From the double J to the last J today. Uh, me and the double B Julie is here. Uh, Julie Riga, and <clears throat> she's the leadership coach. Stay on course. Yeah, thank you. I wish I would. Uh, <laughs> 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 I was trying to keep Blaine on course. We we're like going over our hey. time. Yeah, time's my love language. Yeah, excuse me, time's my love language. So it's uh, an issue for me to stay on course, but I appreciate you, Blaine. Thank you. But just it just makes John come back more, I promise you. Oh, yeah, not worry. <laughs> uh, exactly. You uh, stay in the course, ingredients for success. That kind of stuff. all you have a podcast, you have uh, your studio services, etc. You know, Let's talk about that. I think knowing your timing and tolerance is one way to stay on course. Um, what are some of the other things that we can do as you do one-on-one, team, group, all the podcasts, all the different things that you're doing? How can we get people to know what the course is in order to stay on course? Ha, that's a great question. Thank you for having me. It's so great to be here. Nice to meet you, Blaine and David. I've never met you in person before. But anyway, so how do we stay on course? I think the first thing is to get clear on what the course is. And that is a act of self-discovery. And for me, it all started back in my early 30s when I had a moment of time where my life kind of came down on me. I was facing divorce. I was with a new child and um, I had to change. I had to fix my life, you know? So I got really obsessed with the seven habits of highly effective people. I became so obsessed with self-development and growth because I was like, you know what? My life is in shambles and someone has the answer for me. And so what I did, and I make a joke about this, is I changed my ex-husband's side of the bed into a self help library. <laughs> and I bought every single book I could possibly buy because my mother said to me, and, and it's funny because I have a Jewish mother and an Italian father. And my, my Jewish mother says to me, Julie, you'll find the answer in a book. And I said, all right, I'm going to go find the book. I'm going to find the book. It's going <laughs> to give me the answer to my destitute. Like it was a horrible situation I was in. Literally, I um, I had a nine-month-old daughter. My husband does something that I don't even want to get into, but my parents moved to Florida. I'm all by myself. I'm a young mother, and I'm like, I got to fix this thing. I got to fix this thing called my life. So I started to get obsessed with beginning with the end in mind. I said to myself, you know what? If I can design my life, I can fix my life. And so I got very obsessed with the process in which people take to find and discover purpose. And so I got the opportunity to go to a class through work. It was the seven habits of highly effective people, two day class. And they said in the class, they're like, listen, um, not everybody's going to get to take this class. So we want you to take it very seriously and we want you to pay it forward. And so I started teaching this class to people at my lunch break at work. <laughs> and I just became obsessed with this process. And it was a process of self-discovery. It's a series of questions you ask yourself to get to the answer of your life's purpose. And so then after I decided, you know, I really enjoy this. And so I got like a bunch of women 
that needed to figure out what their purpose was. And I would bring them to my kitchen table and I'd be like, all right, let's just go through this process. And I used to take a big white piece of paper and I would literally ask them to fill out a questionnaire and come back to me. And so I would then chart their entire life on this big white piece of paper and we'd look at it from a perspective together. And so that process kind of triggered me into becoming a leadership coach. And then of course, the stay on course part comes from the book that I wrote. This is um, my father's book. And what happened was, is right before my father dies, he sends me a manuscript and he says, Julie, I want you to finish my, my father's Italian. I got to always do his accent, but he says, Julie, <laughs> I want you to finish the book for me. And I'm like, dad, are you kidding me? I said, people, when they die, they get like an inheritance. They don't get a book, dad. Like, what am I supposed to do with this thing? You know? And he's like, you will figure it out. I know you will figure it out. I'm leaving it all to you. Like basically he's saying, I'm leaving the patriarchy of the family to you now, Julie, and you're to carry my legacy because I trust you that you will do this, you know? And so my father used to say to me, if the world falls down on your shoulders, brush it off and keep going your way, stay on course. And so that's where the stay on course comes from. And it also is the name of my business and so on. So I love it. But Blaine, real quick, uh, I came home from law school. My grandma was dying in their 90s. And I was, she wanted to meet with me personally. And I was excited for the same reason, you know. And she said to me, you know, honey, if there's anything left when I'm gone, and like as much as I love my grandma, I was as poor as, as poor can be in law school and my eyes get really big. You know, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, grandma has. And she said, I've made a math mistake. And so. <laughs> Oops. At least she didn't give me a book to finish. Thank goodness I didn't get it. I had enough to do in law school. I didn't need to finish a book. I didn't need that pressure. Anyway, blame bad, my friend. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the old aphorism, I teach best what I most need to learn. And I was listening to your story there, uh, Julie. Uh, yeah, Stephen Covey um, was a co-author with me <clears throat> on one of on my very first book, uh, Discover wow. Your Inner Strengths. And one of the things that I came to realize was success actually ends up looking a lot like this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you, what I'm what I'm intrigued with is when when you're in the middle of that plate of spaghetti, you think you're lost. It's kind of like yeah. the world has collapsed all around me. But what I heard you say was, and this is also true with your father, when the world collapses on top of you, just dust it off and keep going. And this is one of, one of the things that Stephen and, and his son, Stephen, you know, Stephen Covey Jr., uh, mm -hmm. I know him quite well. Uh, just keep going. And in one of the seven habits, uh, you, you just keep moving. Where did you and I and I, uh, I love you know, the genealogy here, you know, your mother and your father. Uh, and I've got to assume that I kind of know the answer to this question, but where did you find the, the, the chutzpah, the, 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 compel, the compulsion to keep moving while you were in the middle of that plate of spaghetti? Because most people will go, oh, my God, it's all over. There's no way out. Yeah. And I think it was part of it was my father. I had one of those fathers, you know, that was my coach. And so he was back in on the phone because they moved to Florida. 
So I had him on the phone saying to me every day, Julie, if the world falls down on your shoulders, bro, you have to keep going. He's like, I'm living my life through you now. You have to make it. Like, there's no way you can fail. And so I had him as my cheerleader in one ear, and I had my faith in God on the other side because I was always a woman of faith. And although I was angry at God in the beginning, at some point I like sort of flipped it and was like, you know what? I need to now really hold on to God. And what I found was during this time where I felt so alone, I was really being supported by all of these things that were not there. If that makes any sense. Like I didn't yeah. have the people, but I would ask for something or like think about something. And then all of a sudden it would appear. <laughs> and I would be very, very um, serious about journaling and writing down what I wanted. So yep. every year had a name, every year had goals. And I would literally watch these things unfold and unfold. And I literally believe that I had like a special favor over my life during this time because I was like, no, I will survive. I like I had the I will because I had a child and I was like, you know what? I don't want her to miss a beat. I already felt so guilty. The guilt, the Jewish guilt, the Italian guilt was all over me. I had it all, you know, because I was like, I just failed my kid. I can't give her a family, like a mother and a father that live in one home. I just failed that equation, you know? And, and although it wasn't really my fault, I felt like a failure. I'm like, but so what I tried to do is get to a place where she didn't feel that she didn't feel the financial burden of me being a single mom. So I really took my career very seriously. Mm -hmm. And I really took, you know, all the words that my dad said to heart. Yeah, the thing that I love about that particular piece is most people are far more clear about what they don't want than what they do want. And you need to keep yourself focused on what do I want? What do I want? What do I want? And that's that's the catalyst. And uh, I love that you were able to articulate that. Thank you. Yeah, it, it's so true, Blaine. <clears throat> Not only what we don't want, but it's missing. And if you have uh, Jewish and Italian as parents, uh, it's also we're very clear on what other people want for us mm -hmm. uh, as well. And so, you know, utilizing and knowing what we want in the trajectory of what we think we want, utilizing ingredients for success, whatever ingredients they are, whether it's Covey's ingredients or Riga's ingredients or the double B Blaine Bartlett's ingredients, uh, we can use those ingredients to create or bake our successful future of passion, purpose, and profitability. Julie Riga, your father will be proud. I don't know how you handled all that guilt. <clears throat> I just had the Jewish side. I could imagine the Italian Catholic side as well. But more importantly, uh, everyone go out there. Let's figure out how to stay on course, no matter if you feel or don't feel the world is on your shoulders. Just brush it off. Stay on course. Stay on course.io.studio. Check out Julie and her podcast, which... I'm sure Blaine and I would love to help support as well and be honest if you'd ever like to learn. I would uh, love that. Yeah. We'd love to do that as well. Thank you for joining us. Keep on cooking. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. Thanks, Julie. You too. Great job. Oh, my goodness. I want to, once again, a couple things to acknowledge. One is our team. 
Luca uh, here up at 5 a.m. and DJ it's probably 5 p.m. where she is in Europe. Uh, but, you know, to have those co-producers here and helping support us by bringing in, you know, extraordinary people every single day, it just amazes me. And it's yeah. one thing to bring the amazing people, but they always seem to court with the commonality, a takeaway. Uh, and, uh, you know, to that matter, I'm going to put this up one one more time in honor uh, of uh, what's going on today. So uh, <laughs> perfect. Just in, just in case I woke her, I'll play the, the show for her in that acknowledgement. But Blaine, what's your takeaway of the day? Uh, well, first of all, just uh, again, the acknowledgement and the congratulations to uh, you and Julie for your anniversary. I mean, I, I love the two of you. Absolutely relish uh, that you're a part of my family and Cynthia's in my family. So congratulations, buddy. Thank you. Um, the takeaway, um, two words, I am. Uh, it's enough. It's enough. I mean, this is, you know, Julie talked about this. Uh, you know, Adam, certainly, you know, you know, that was the catalyst for this. But also, you know, just when we're looking at, you know, uncertainty, there, there's how do I know what to do when I don't know what to do? You, know, you, you just kind of got to know I'm enough. And then you look for patterns from that perspective without. And the question I was going to ask John had to do with the, just the nature of boring. Most people kind of move away from boring. Boring is actually a really nice settling place. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. You can do a lot. When boring in place, if you take the label of boring off and go stillness. Yeah, I was going to say ease. Stillness. ease yeah, I am ease. enough here. Yeah, I was going to say ease or dis-ease, right? Ease does not have to be boring. Dis-ease uh, mm -hmm. does not have to be extinct. Uh, so th that's a, a great takeaway. You know, me, mine was the, the uh, mental models have mm -hmm. a variance of mental models I think was incorporated into whether you're in recovery or on that pursuit obviously John talked about uh, the mental models and, and mental modeling and picking what model is best serving the clues the patterns and to make the choices of the uncertainty and even in the respect of staying on course you hold up that spaghetti uh, picture again, you know, you can imagine how many mental models, if, if that is, you know, which it, I think almost like exactly the course of success that I've had. Um, yeah, same here. You know, <laughs> how many mental, how many mental models uh, did I apply uh, along the way? And what did I learn? I think that's the component of my takeaway is, you know, Hey, I'm identifying clues, patterns to make the choices of what mental model to use in this circumstance and building that repository of mental models to utilize uh, in that spaghetti uh, path uh, that we all take in life to have a trajectory where we wanna be or better by giving meaning to those mental models and aligning it with our circumstances today and in that trajectory of the future. And Bartlett, I appreciate you. I celebrate you and I look forward to seeing you every week and I, want to acknowledge you for waking up at 5 a.m. Uh, because you are on the West Coast. I can tell that's your office there and will be. So thanks for joining us. I look forward to seeing you soon and celebrating. Real soon, buddy. You take care. You Safe too. travel tomorrow as you go to Florida. You got it. We'll stay out of the wind. <laughs> take care.
All right, everyone, it's Thursday, and I am blessed to be with Blaine Bartlett. I want to thank our extraordinary guests, the Jays today, Adam Jablin, John Jennings, and of course, Julie Riga. Thank you all three for joining us. Uh, I will be in Florida tomorrow, uh, so come and meet up with me. Uh, we will be in Vegas next week, uh, speaking meetups, uh, VIP dinner. We got extraordinary people, Ryan Beta, Flex Lewis, Forrest Griffin, just to name a few. We'll be in Vegas next week. Come and see us over at Caesars. Um, you can email me if you'd like to get all the details, david at dmeltzer.com. If you want to get notified, we are moving and grooving. We're one of the most active all. So if you want to figure out where the hell we are, uh, or if you just want a free book, go ahead and email me, david at dmeltzer.com, or join our text community, and I can alert you where we're going to be, 949-298-2905. We're still doing free Fridays uh, trainings. It'll be 24 years in October. That's creeping up 24 years, almost as long as I've had Marissa, my oldest child. So uh, boy, does time fly. If you be alert of all the meetups, office hours, uh, VIP dinners, speeches, free books, exercises. It's all right there, right there on the screen. So I look forward to seeing you. Most importantly, everyone, be kind to yourself and do good deeds. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks so much and happy anniversary, Julie. Peace.